0: This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. I am once again honored to be representing my friends at New Society Publishers, the book publishers that were a big inspiration to me even before I started working with ecologies and natural buildings and way before podcasting. Their titles like The Natural Plaster Book, and timber framing for the rest of us really made me believe that I could build my own home, which I eventually did. And later volumes like Ecopreneuring, Unlearn Rewild, and Building Community have offered tons of inspiration and even helped to shape my worldview. Whether you're looking for practical tips on growing and preserving food, exploring complex challenges in your own life, or sometimes just searching for hope and inspiration in a crazy world where you don't feel like you fit in You'll find exactly what you're looking for and more at newsociety.com. Hey everybody and welcome back. Now it was a couple of months ago that Nathan Fournia joined the Patreon community and we began a correspondence. From there I quickly realized that he had followed a similar path that I did in getting into ecological design. Nathan first studied engineering and pursued that career path only for a short time before realizing that there was a lot missing in that pursuit. Fast forward to today where he's running a successful ecological landscaping service offering edible gardens, tree planting, and much more to a wide range of clients in his community. Now I've often thought about getting into landscaping work myself and I nearly started a company just before some different opportunities came up, so I was excited to hear about Nathan's journey into the profession and what he's learned in the process. Now in this interview, we unpack all of the potential in offering ecological repair and optimization services, and just how many interests and skill sets that it can accommodate. Nathan gives some great insights into the business end of things, which is often where permaculture design courses and other ecological learning leaves off. There are also a large range of side businesses that can help to support the transformation of whole communities through the production of high-quality seeds, trees, compost, tools, and much more. So this really serves to open a range of options outside of just farming and gardening for people looking for a career path that supports this movement. I really hope that you find some inspiring information here, but I'll start from the beginning with the story of how Nathan got into this line of work. Cool, so Nate, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. It's great to finally catch up on a call. We've been emailing for a little while. So how are things going in Massachusetts?
1: Things are great. it uh, hard to talk lately, which is unprecedented, actually, as far as records go. We're breaking all records for July rainfall, uh, which is good in some ways, good for the plants, um, also good for potential diseases and things, for fruit trees, which you had to keep an eye on. But otherwise, things are excellent.
0: Nice. Well, look, so you've been explaining over a while to me how you got into the world of ecological landscaping. It wasn't a direct path. Can you tell me how your interest in all this started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've always been very interested in in kind of like the self reliance mindset, and just seemed to make sense. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, a lot of audiobooks, um, even as I was going through university, and then especially after I graduated, I still had the itch to just always be learning continuous education and really trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I just invested so much money and time in a traditional conventional university education in mechanical engineering with a a minor in aerospace. And my first job out of college, and I was working on jet engines and supporting the military industrial complex and sitting in a cool. And I just realized pretty quickly that that wasn't the route I wanted to take. And I, uh, am grateful for that opportunity because it did give me the time to listen to more audiobooks and podcasts all day every day and I stumbled across the word permaculture uh, in in one podcast and it just triggered something in my brain and my heart and I knew that that's what I wanted to do and so then I, I went all in and learned as much as I could about it and
0: from that learning journey what got you into the specialty that you have now because there's so many things you can do with permaculture and there are some people out there for great reference as to how to do this as a profitable and uh, ethical landscaping business. Who were some of your mentors and what guided your learning process?
1: Yeah, definitely, it's true. There are lots of different directions you can go with it. but, But I think that through the educational process, I did find where my skills overlapped with my interests. And I think from the engineering design perspective, I really lean towards the design aspect. And um, even in the work that I had done from my career, I really loved the process of developing a design, conceptualizing it, creating a a 3D rendering of a map, and then seeing that come to fruition. And I was doing it in a machine shop, building machine parts and things. And now being able to do that into a landscape has been really, pretty incredible. I'm glad that, you know, that common thread throughout my career has stayed true. But as far as inspirations, I mean, Jeff Lawton was number one. That was the first introduction I had to permaculture. So I, I took his online PDC back in 2015 and was just, again, overwhelmed with the complexity of it, but also the beauty in, in the simple, you know, it's, it's simple in philosophy, but very complex in practice. And that really intrigued me. So I I did take his PDC in 2015, and then again in 2017. And again, it was online, so I was really looking for something hands-on. And I was still working at the time, really trying to figure out how to actually put this into practice, but I was a little nervous that I wouldn't be able to make money, and I didn't really want to throw my degree in the the trash to the wayside after just accumulating so much student debt. So I felt beholden to that. So I did stay true on my course there uh, in my career, but always learning. I just really committed to learning as much as I possibly could, knowing that someday I would get to the point where I was confident enough to make the decision to start my own business and and to go all in. And that point really came after I um, went through some kind of hard times. I I was engaged and uh, for like five years, you know, the the girl I thought I was going to marry and she ended up walking away, unfortunately, but it really inspired this uh, transaction of events that then occurred where I went to New Zealand right afterwards. I um, went and lived and worked on the regenerative agriculture farm out there, the Kawanga Institute, which is just led by beautiful people. And it was just, I lived on site there for about four months and uh, was all in. Finally got my hands dirty, saw it in practice, saw how it was an eco village and and how that played into the redesigning of landscapes. And it was really a transformative experience. And so as far as mentors go, I mean, I definitely Kay Baxter um, over at the Kawanga Institute. And, uh, and Vitor Crispin, he's a cinematographer working on some online courses for them over there. We really connected and um, it was humbling and it's a really humbling and beautiful experience.
0: It's incredible. Yeah, it sounds like that's been a, a really valuable influence. I've had a similar story about all the people who I've learned from through natural building. And increasingly as I get to travel and have relocated a few times, getting to see other incredible people in action and their connection to the land has been really inspiring for me too. And so with that, uh, I would imagine stress of having to still pay for student loan debt, um, what gave you the confidence to actually throw yourself in and try for a landscaping business where perhaps you hadn't had any training on before and wasn't sure if this would work in your community, if there was enough demand for it?
1: Yeah. So once I completed my internship in New Zealand. I was actually scheduled to stay another month and go join a, one of an elite rugby academy. I do play rugby in the states, which is kind of a rare thing. But that was, so I was able to uh, play a little for the local. And uh, COVID happened, and I, I my trip got cut short by about two months. And you know the world, this global pandemic hit hard, and it was really unknown at the time. It was early stages; we had no idea how bad it was going to be. And I was left with the ultimatum of either staying indefinitely or getting on a plane the next day. And so it was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. And, you know, nowhere else in the world, I'd rather be stuck in a global pandemic than on this beautiful regenerative farm in in New Zealand. Uh, But I decided, you know, to take what I learned and it was the catalyst for me to jump in. And now it's more important than ever for people to learn how to take care of themselves, how to grow their own food, how to create these nutrient-dense ways to boost their immune system and through through transforming their own landscapes. And so that was really my my drive was to help inspire more people to take control of their lives, knowing that those systems that we have are fragile. You know, it was just very clear during the pandemic when grocery store shelves were empty, that it's like, you can't rely on these forever. And what more empowering and better way to take control than by planting a garden. (laughs) And so that that was really the, the angle I took. And, you know, so I did come back committed to start my own edible landscaping company. And I was writing out a business plan, really figuring out how to implement it and doing a lot of research of other companies that exist in the area, of which there are very few. And it just happened to stumble across one uh, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, where I'm in central Massachusetts, so about an hour hour and a half away, um, called Home Harvest. And I really just found him uh, and, and called the owner cold and just reached out and said hey I'm starting my own edible landscaping business out of central mass just wondering if you had any advice or you want to collaborate and the owner out there is Ben Barkin who had been in business since 2008 built this really incredible brand in in beautiful imagery and he had learned so much through his years building this business and he was interested in in expanding and so we got to talking and it's not technically a franchise, but worked out a licensing agreement for me to build off of his success. And he became a great mentor of mine and a, a huge valuable resource. And um, that was really a, a good springboard and a confidence booster, knowing that I had his support moving forward and that the, the financials were there to prove it, as well as the, the success and the results and the professionalism worked out really well.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And that's something that I've really noticed in this line of work, because I've worked in a lot of other industries as well, but people are really open and willing to help you out. And, you know, this even turned into a collaboration for you. And it's something that is always, not I guess, not surprising anymore, because I've seen it often enough, but still kind of reassuring that this is something that attracts really good people, that brings the best out in people as well. And that there is this general, we're in this together sentiment that has made this so like, it, it's very welcoming. It's very inviting. Okay. So with the assistance of a pre-existing business model that you could adapt to your area, what were some of the things that were successful in getting your first client?
1: Honestly, what I have found to be the easiest part of this business has been just exuding my passion of what I do and talking with people that might not know. It's like the balance of this being such a niche business that not many people even know that it's an offering that they can look for, but being able to go to somebody's home and see their landscape. And they may have just called me to plant a foundation garden And then while I'm there, I'm able to say, hey, have you considered, you know, this large open grass space in the back that looks like it's not being used? We could plant three or four apple trees, a row of blueberries, and maybe a native pollinator garden. And uh, just you can see their eyes widened, like, wow, i never even considered anything but grass. And now having that portfolio of experience and pictures to be able to show people like, this is what this grass lawn could be. And where we're just stacking as many functions as we can into the landscape from an ecological perspective, providing wildlife habitat, pollinator, as well as human impact and the physical health both of growing your own nutritious food and the psychological impact of watching a seed sprout and being able to pick a fruit and eat it from something that you planted, I believe is a is very important fundamental human need that we've lost. Over the last couple of decades and I think that people really relate to that and so yeah I think really the passion of what I have and now that I'm developing more fluency in a lot of the terms and um, just really being able to relate to people and and find out what it is that they're looking for um, whether it's more from a self-reliance perspective or just a beauty in finding that perfect blend of aesthetic and function and appealing to their needs.
0: Yeah that's really in line with what I've seen as well people who are new to this are very easy to inspire when you give them the options that are available that perhaps they'd never considered. And though lawns are not quite as prolific here in Spain as they are in the United States, just because it's dry and it's not normally what people grew in their, in their backyard, there's still a lot of gardens. Um, it's, it's interesting to see how different cultural norms Dictate what is possible and what people consider as their options when they're looking to do something with their space. And so I'm curious in working with a lot of people who are probably new to this and many of the concepts. What are some of the challenges that you have with communicating these ideas and explaining to them how it works because in the past I've worked with clients as well who. uh, You know, they kind of get the concepts and they really connect with the idea of what's possible. But you need somebody who's going to maintain it as well and being able to maintain a complex system, especially if someone's only used to riding a a mower around to cut the grass and doesn't necessarily know how to take care of a more complex ecosystem. Where is the, the difficulty in that communication for newbies?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's something I have found, especially in the permaculture realm, where it's pretty romantic. You know, a lot of people think we can develop these systems that just take care of themselves, but the reality is, maintenance is involved for sure. And so, with clients, I either really want to educate them, I am working on some different guides and just one pagers of how to maintain your fruit trees, um, as well as in the future, I would love to create some more online courses and some content that I can either use as a, as a free resource for clients to help inspire and teach them how to maintain their own landscapes or schedule recurring maintenance visits that I can do and also encourage the client to come and be one-on-one firsthand how I maintain them so that I can then teach them and pass that on. Because that's really what this is all about. It's really teaching people how to do it themselves. And it's interesting, you know, that again, in the permaculture realm, there's a lot of good intentions and and good philosophical ideas. But, you know, then when you start blending the capitalistic mindset into it and the cultural norms of Americans, you know, these independent, relatively arrogant and selfish people and who love their grass lawns. I mean, you try to pull a man away from his lawnmower. It's, you know, there's a lot of emotional tension there. For some odd reason um <laughs> but trying to uh, yeah i think again inspire and then educate is really the most important thing and 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 hopefully inspire them enough to take the education into their own hands and they may not have ever heard that word permaculture and so i'm really looking to find those clients who hear that word hear the concept and something clicks just like it did for me and so many others who get into this space where all of a sudden you're like you just never even considered this entire other world of opportunity of of where you work with rather than against nature instead of soaking your lawn with chemicals that you can work with it and find these beautiful symbiotic relationships and stepping back and observing and and there's so much opportunity to to do better and i think that um, a lot of clients do align with that once they understand the process
0: for sure for sure And I would imagine there's a ton of potential in there with all those things you were talking about for adding value to the service, maybe having some online courses or offering training sessions or some sort of recurring maintenance. That's a really good way to advertise or promote the business in a very authentic way, right? And you're connecting with people who are interested in these topics while adding on value to the service that you're already offering in in landscape design. Uh, while getting a message out there for other people who would resonate with it and so what would you say are the typical profile of people that you work with is there quite a pattern is it a similar demographic of folks or is it kind of all over the place
1: yeah it's been pretty hard to nail down the target demographic because it does work. and working with And the original Home Harvest founder out in Boston has quite a different demographic than I do out here in central Massachusetts, where he's appealing to a wealthier demographic with smaller spaces, really just corner suburban lots that are pretty densely packed. Whereas I have a lot more land, a lot more space, people have more room to work with, but also less of a income or less of a budget. And so it's been interesting to see a balance of a lot of younger generations, a lot of millennials who are first time homeowners who right away, first thing say, I don't want a lawn. I want this ecological landscape. And that's a, that's an awesome demographic for me. And then there's also the older, typically women maybe stay at home mothers who are interested in providing more of an opportunity for their children. And that's been a, a very intriguing demographic to work with as well, because they may not have as much knowledge or like, no, but they just know that they, you know, they're, They want some grass space for the children to play, but have this idea of, of, you know, a lot of the imagery that we work with. And, you know, we have some great photos of children eating fruit, picking blueberries and eating them. And again, that's like a, a fundamental human thing. Like, I think that it's a really important skill and really important experience for children to know what is healthy food and where it comes from. And a lot of parents do align with that. And so I found that wealthier demographics with children in a lot of space are totally open to it as well as younger generations, which is a little bit harder now because a lot of them aren't buying houses. The housing market is incredibly competitive here right now and things are, you know, values are through the roof, but, um, and then there's the other subset of people who are starting out their homesteads and that's a little bit outside of the city where i am but that's an ideal demographic for me as well is a young couple who have this dream you know they watched the big little farm on netflix and and really we're connected with that message and they say we're doing it we're starting our own homestead and so i do offer services as well as more of a as like a long-term homestead design consultant and really help them get established in that sense which is good from a business perspective because it is a long-term mutual relationship so yeah it's kind of the, the blend but it is hard to nail down
0: Within that range, it sounds like there's quite a range of services that you offer as well, from sort of wild native landscapes to more curated ones. I would imagine vegetable gardens and edible fruit trees and things like that, all the way to actual production leaning on the homestead side. You kind of do everything in between there.
1: I do, yeah. And still learning a lot as I go. You know, it's a very humbling sphere to be in because it's never ending like there's so much to learn there's so much more new research coming out that shows different best practices and yeah so I you know my typical demographic right now is suburban backyards and through that is more informal I like densely planted cottage gardens with a lot of native flowers as well as some edible functions as well and with the homestead design um yeah and orchards like that's one thing that I I love more than anything is to learn a new project or some interest from a client that's something that I haven't had much experience with then I'll go all in and I'll read as much as I possibly can about it and and use that knowledge to help design and work with the client to to achieve whatever goal it is typically it's not necessarily full orchard scale for market gardening or or production um but I have, I mean, I've, I have planted 50 fruit trees in somebody's backyard, 25 chestnuts, again, that long-term legacy planting chestnuts that are six to 12 inches tall, little seedlings that are going to potentially live 300 plus years and produce thousands of pounds of, of a staple crop for their great, great grandchildren. And they're planting that tree with the intention of leaving a legacy. And, uh, I love that. And that's something I do encourage for a lot of people as well.
0: That's so cool. And it really works with what I've noticed as well is that people can come here from so many different motivations and find something that fits within what is going to achieve their personal goals, while also improving the health and the resilience of their ecosystem at the same time. And there's a lot of this overlap in interests and uh, motivations that I think brings everybody to the table in a way, a lot of other vocations or focuses don't and connect with people's inherent desire for connection to the places that they live in and to be able to interact with it in a way that is beneficial to it while also, you know, creating a yield for themselves and other benefits for the community. And so within this range of uh, of services that you offer and focuses that you have, what has been something that you have learned recently that has really changed the way that you see your work or has offered you a new option or tool to work with?
1: Yeah, there's tons of opportunity out here for working with water on a small scale. So I've been, uh, just last week, we installed a green garden. The city I'm in is very hilly and there's a lot of erosion problems, lots of excess stormwater runoff, and where you can have three or four properties all almost terraced down a relatively steep hill where the water from the neighbor up top, it all cascades down. And then I'll get a call saying that there's this erosion problem through somebody's yard and and it's the uphill neighbors that there's no form of accountability for. And that's been a, a challenge of figuring out the best way to handle, handle water. And of course, an incredibly important aspect of permaculture design and this ecological design so that is something that um, was was cool to see just last week we planted this rain garden and where the curb was cut on the street such that all the runoff from the street came right through this woman's property her property was actually already a certified wildlife habitat she was a professor of environmental science and so she's very in tune with a lot of these concepts and so uh, it, it's really cool to see, you know, we were out there in the rain one day, I was seeing the water come and how impactful just a, a one foot deep trench can have on directing and managing water flow and so we were able to to dig the trench put a swale in such that all the water from this one space collected and then we built up a berm and it slowly soaked it and it was just like one day of work we completely transformed this erosion problem and how much um, of an impact and now planting that whole garden densely so that all the plants then absorb that water and filter it and um, it was just pretty amazing to see how little work it took to make a massive impact when managing water. And I think there's lots and lots of opportunity for that. Yeah, that's really cool. It's been a while since I've
0: lived in a place where managing excess water is the bigger problem here in Spain. We kind of have the opposite problem and are dealing with drought issues, but I definitely remember from Guatemala when we'd be in the rainy seasons there, both on the large slopes that we had by living in the mountains and just the sheer volume of water that comes down in some of those storms, it's not talked about nearly as much as the water shortage issue, but it can do a whole lot of damage. And, you know, we're even seeing massive flooding in uh, Western Germany and all, all sorts of other places here in the North in Europe recently as well. And yeah, water is such an important factor to manage from the beginning because it is often the limiting factor for so many other things that you do at lower levels of the scale of permanence. Now, Aside from these new learning experiences, what do you find that are some of the, the key design sciences or techniques that you keep coming back to regularly that help to keep your designs grounded and inform some consistency in, in, in the results that you get?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of lessons that I have been learning this year specifically that continue to build on to each other and things that I'm able to then apply for every new job moving forward. One thing that I did have a a bit of a hard time with just getting started was the the design science of landscape design with just general ornamental plantings and so from a from an aesthetic perspective and ornamental garden design that was a pretty big learning curve where I felt really confident in my permaculture skills and edibles and in gardening but then incorporating the aesthetic aspect and making sure which I think is an incredibly valuable uh, part of this whole process is making sure whatever we do, it has to be beautiful. It has to be aesthetic in order for it to catch on. And so Ben does a really great job of that. And, and he did teach me a lot as far as what plants to use and in, in incorporating natives in these flowering shrubs incorporated with the edibles so that um, they all work together in this beautiful harmony. But as far as the actual design process too, I mean, I, I Again, my background is in computer-aided design, and so I love using software to visualize the landscape. You know, I import the satellite imagery, and I'm able to build the design and take my time with it too. And 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 play with different iterations and move things around and doing that in a digital way that's that's easy to manipulate is really helpful just for my own process of figuring out, okay, how am I actually going to install this and what are the benefits and why would, am I laying it out this way? And I like the iterative process of coming up with a few different ideas and then picking the one that I think makes the most sense. And a lot of times it becomes very clear after a few iterations, like, okay, this makes way more sense in this configuration. Um, but yeah, I do love the, the software to be able to move things around and all the, the technology that we have today is really helpful to be able to understand sun patterns and especially even plant identification apps, I think are pretty incredible now. They've gotten a lot more accurate. And that's something that we've never had in the history of humankind. The ability to point our device and have the entire wealth, you know, able to identify plants on the spot. And that's always been a... a passed on thing through generations, through elder teachings and or field manuals, both of which are are just very much more difficult to come by. So using that as as a learning process as a tool to to better understand the landscapes as they currently exist. And And in new design features, um, of course, you know, working with the client and figuring out a lot of times it's easier when the client is able to say, this is what I want. Uh, But more often than not, people say, well, what do you think? You know, they're open to a lot more of an idea, which makes it a little bit harder to come up with a, a design because it's it is a clean slate. But yeah, I really love the the iterative aspect of of the designs and creating 3D renderings through the software that I use um, is really a great sales tool and just a visual um, learning opportunity for myself as well to see the sizes of plants and um, through that software, like you said, making things replicable um, where the sizes of the plants are incorporated into the software so I can drop them. And that's one thing on planting design is understanding the height gradation, always making sure the tallest things are in back and the spacing between plants is is so important. And it, it is hard to, it takes time to familiarize yourself with the plants well enough to know that. And so that that's a continuous learning opportunity to understand spacings and arrangements of plants. And the software does help with that.
0: What would you say is the technology that you rely on most often in your work? And Maybe some recommendations for things that are really worth investing in if you plan on going into this line of work.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of free soft, lots of free tools, and which is really incredible. I mean, Google Earth is number one. Use Google Earth every single day. Being able to import scaled landscape plans of existing properties using tax maps most of here in the united states most of the county records are available for free online so you can look up the property address and see the exact boundaries of those of the property which is really important to work from that as well as the the visual imagery and usually google earth is great we have um here in massachusetts in orthographic lidar Program that ran back in 2019, and it was actually a plane that flew overhead in such a way that it, it's actually much more clear a lot of times to see where there's not so much um, foliage. So that's a big thing with Google Earth. Is a lot of times, the tree cover can totally hide what you're trying to see in in from the from the satellite imagery. And so, um, see if your county or your region has different tools that they have done through drone footage or an actual plane where they have this, this imagery that's, that's really, really valuable, especially through COVID where it was a bit more remote, um, didn't have the opportunity to spend as much time on site with a client. So being able to have that satellite imagery is really important. And a lot of times the contours are also there. So dealing with steeper or different contoured sites um, getting, getting, that data is is super valuable, and then there, yeah, there's a lot of free free software. I happen to use that, Real Time Landscaping Architect is a software. It's relatively affordable, but yeah, between the plant identification app iNaturalist works really well, or Plant Net, that's super valuable. Um, and all the satellite imagery and you can do it all by hand. And that's one thing you learn in the permaculture courses usually is how to do all these things just by hand and measuring out sites. But I don't even really need to measure much anymore because I know that I have a two scale satellite or, or uh, orthographic image that I can work from. And that just speeds up the process, which is good because it can take a very long time to get a proper, a good design together. So finding the efficiencies in that without sacrificing quality.
0: let's, well, shift focus for a second and talk more about the business side of this, because I know a lot of people who are very capable and knowledgeable ecologists or study permaculture design or regenerative agriculture, whatever it might be, but struggled to nail it on the business side. And those are very different skill sets. Um, did you come with more of a strength and experience in the business side or from the permaculture and design side?
1: I think it was actually a pretty good balance. So I did have some experience. I've started a couple of businesses in the past. I got into real estate investing and got my general contractor's license. And I was doing that part-time while still working as an engineer. And so work ethic is really important in any self-owned enterprise. And um, it is really important, you know, where um, yeah, I was working part-time and then f- and renovating houses and learning how to renovate houses in the meantime, knowing that by owning a few passive income properties that would help buffer my income level so that when I did jump into the permaculture design business that I didn't have to really rely on that to pay my bills and pay my student loans. So that was really worthwhile experience and I did again through just podcasts and audiobooks I learned everything I could about, about real estate investing and that was a really valuable opportunity because it came with a lot of business building aspects to that as well. And being able to build it up in such a way as a general contractor, where I was able to flip these houses, but not actually spend much time on site at all. The first few I did all myself, my partner and I, we worked together and um, learned the skills. But then as soon as I could, you know, really step back and hired out people who are experts and just built it into the process where as soon as we get the house, we have, we hire all the subcontractors we need and they perform the work. And so I've taken that, um, Into this business as well, acting as kind of the all things exterior general contractor and trying to build partnerships with other industries such as mason. I have a great mason that I work with, um, finding an arborist, finding somebody who might install ponds or an excavator and having these these strategic partnerships with other people where i can confidently tell a customer like yes we can take care of that and then i have um a a partner that i trust and it does take time to build those relationships but once you have them they can be incredibly valuable um, and they're just part of the team Um, so i did have some experience with with building businesses and um the the book the e-myth was really valuable for me there is a a book the e-myth for landscaping contractors um which is super valuable. And it really just talks about how to scale and grow a business, which may or may not be the right path for some people. A lot of people, I mean, I could just do it myself with my pickup truck and a shovel and just go and just do all the work myself, do all the sales and all the marketing myself um, and just slow it down, you know, and just kind of pick away at it over time. But I really want to have the most impact I can and, and really spread this message. And there's a lot of opportunity for it. And so I would rather, you know, then look, To see, okay, I know that my highest value role in my business is sales and consultations and design. And so figuring out how I can set up my crews and hire people so that they can run the jobs and I can encourage and empower them to run the jobs on their own with minimal guidance so that then they're on the job working like I have now and then... I can be doing more sales and face-to-face meetings with customers and and figuring out ways to, um, to better market the business. So that's been a pretty big struggle uh, in the business building process where I'm just digging holes all day. and planting trees and then I get home at 7 p.m. and I have 30 missed emails and a bunch of people I have to follow up on and uh, I have to wake up at 5 a.m. to work on a design and it's just, it can be all consuming. So it is important to set boundaries and um, make sure you give yourself time to relax as well. But yeah, just one one thing at a time and always learning and trying to find ways to make it more, more efficient and effective.
0: Oh man, I definitely hear you. That was an unexpected turn for me too when I was doing contracting for natural buildings, especially towards the end there in Guatemala, where I figured I got into this so that I could be on construction sites and actually be doing some work because it was what I really enjoyed. But as you get to a level where you're running and uh, doing the designs, managing sites, you end up taking on a very different role. I was behind a computer much more often than I had intended to be and was taking on kind of a yeah, I guess just a different role. And it changed the expectations that I had about perhaps making it a career because I wanted to be more of a worker and an artisan than a manager or a business person. And so it was part of the reason why I got into, you know, different contracting and lines of work. But I hear you, it's uh, depending on what you train for and, and the responsibilities that you take on, just because it's a permaculture type of a business doesn't mean that you're, tasks and your responsibilities are going to be directly related to those things. And you were saying too, that there's a lot of opportunity in this space. Can you talk about that opportunity? And do you think that this is a reasonable business venture for somebody to take on?
1: Yes. Yes. We need more people, please, in this this sphere. It is so important feel it is the most valuable work we can be doing as human beings is figuring out and teaching people how to work with nature in more cohesive ways. And there's so much competition within the landscaping sphere itself. There are probably 30 to 50 landscaping companies just in my city alone, and they're all just cutting grass and trimming shrubs. And it wouldn't be that difficult to get some education and to transform some of those existing landscaping companies into more ecological companies. And we're riding this wave right now of of this green awakening where people are realizing that they don't want just expansive grass lawns anymore. And they want to have more of an impact. And we can do that in our own backyards. And it's been great to see the clients that I work with, some of them just say, I've been looking for somebody who does organic land care for the last five years and, and the only ones that exist are two to three hours away. And so there are some cities where there are a few, but where I am, there's a two hour radius where there's not a single other company doing what I do and advertising ecological design, organic land care, or permaculture design. And there's just, there's so much opportunity in that sphere and it's so rewarding. You know, it's a balance of, of, being so niche that it's, it's hard to get clients because there aren't all that many people actively looking for it, but also the ones who are looking for it are gonna be your biggest fans. And that's been really cool to see and, and very encouraging the few clients that we have who then word of mouth is, is such a big part of this business too. And as they share it with their neighbors and, um, and putting a sign out front you know, to show that this is what this yard could become and when they're side by side like that, it really sells itself. Um, and but yeah, I, I think that as far as startup costs, there's not many other businesses you can get started with with a, a pickup and a shovel, you know, or even a bicycle and a wheelbarrow and, and a shovel. Like you can get it, you can get started with without all that money. And the growth opportunity from there is is almost endless. You know, there aren't any companies doing this. Or there's not that high level pressure from from other competition, and there's tons of room for collaboration with other industries. As I was saying, being able to partner up with other companies who are working with landscapes, whether they're arborists or, or a lot of mains do you know hardscaping jobs that are there's a lot of overlap that you can incorporate some water management or some some garden design and so having the ability to teach as many people as you can, what you do and why you do it and what it looks like, then the more opportunity that snowballs from that. So I highly encourage anybody who's interested in starting, just getting started, you know, and and that's one thing too, there's a lot of different directions to go where I'm honestly doing a few businesses in one, like a lot of people might just have their design business and you could just do designs and and that's your full-time or part-time gig. And you can do that through satellite imagery and just meeting with clients and then finding landscaping companies to do the installs. Or you could do the installs as, or or you could do both as I'm doing. You can find gardeners. There are quite a few or just regular gardeners who do designs, but don't have anybody to do the actual installs. And that would be a good way to to learn the business and learn about garden design. So by, by working with somebody who's an expert and then seeing their plan and installing it is kind of a good stepping stone. Um, and then even nursery design and, and having a tree nursery, there's a lot of, of rare fruit trees and things that I had, do you have my own fruit tree nursery, which has been invaluable, but it's also another business entirely in itself. So it does get a bit overwhelming, but um, that's not open for retail or anything, but it's really just a way for me to provide pawpaw and persimmon and elderberry and currants and a lot of these fruiting trees and shrubs that you cannot get at typical nurseries. And uh, it's a lot of opportunity there from from a business perspective to get rootstock and and, and graft your own trees and get cuttings and start from seed in such a way that it's a long-term investment, but not many products gain value the longer they sit on the shelves. And so that, that is, as long as you keep them alive, uh, being able to supply, there, there's a big shortage of supply of these unique and rare um, plant materials. As well. so you could also do that. So yeah, so there's a lot of opportunity, and, um, and you can definitely make, make a good money doing it. And I think that people are willing to pay for it when they know that it's a, a great value. And so that's what it all, that's what it's all about, providing value.
0: For sure, yeah, there really is a ton of different ways that you can either do this directly or support the actual business of landscaping or ecosystem restoration as some sort of adjacent business. We've been identifying a lot of this as far as supporting regenerative agriculture, too. There are a ton of support businesses that can move that that movement forward without having to necessarily be a farmer yourself. All right, so where can people go to learn more about you and your work, Nathan?
1: Yeah. My website is homeharvestcentralma.com. It's Home Harvest Central Mass. So um, I'm really proud of the website. It's um, a lot of that came from the original homeharvest.com. You can check out as well. That's the Greater Boston location. Um, and Facebook, Instagram, pretty active. Home Harvest Central Mass is the the designator there. And yeah, I mean, there's so much to learn, and I think that. For people who are interested, um, I haven't started a good YouTube channel yet, but I'm, if it's on my list, I would love to get a good YouTube channel just to, again, share with people how to start their own businesses of the same nature. And um, there are a lot of other companies doing it, a lot of other content creators out there, a lot of other podcasts, just like yours, Oliver, are so incredibly valuable. And so I just encourage people to, to continue, keep learning and yeah, feel free to check out the website or uh, reach out to me directly.
0: Awesome, Nate. Well, look, it's such a pleasure to have finally connected with you in this way. I really hope we can stay in touch.
1: Great. Thanks, Oliver. I really appreciate it.
0: There you have it. Now, I want to thank Nathan once again for his valuable insights into the business side of design and installing ecological landscape for clients. I've included links to his website on the show notes to this episode. And don't forget to check out the resource packet that goes along with this episode. The packets are made to help get the most important bits of information together in a simple-to-review format so that you don't need to go back and re-listen to the whole episode. You can find the resource packet for this and many previous episodes on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash regen skills or through the links at the homepage at regenerativeskills.com. There you can also find the link to join our Discord server where we'll be discussing some exciting questions around these topics like... What transformation to your local ecology would help to solve some of your community's most pressing problems? Are there ecological solutions to food security, landscape hydrology such as drought or flooding? Maybe challenges as big as homelessness or as subtle as aesthetic pleasure? Is there a product or service that you could offer that could make a significant change to these issues? Join the discussion by joining the Discord server for free. Links are on our homepage at regenerativeskills.com. Thank you once again to Hug Records for the original music by Osmos featuring Arbara. If you'd like to have your own original music featured on the show or just want to reach out, you can get in touch with me directly through info at regenerativeskills.com. That's our show for this week. Until next time, keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.